0: Welcome to Beyond the Shelf. I'm Dawn. And I'm Jenny. We have the privilege of interviewing Patty Flynn. She is an Ohio author. She has written four novels, four novellas, and one picture book. Patty won the Romance Writers Inc. Award for Romantic Comedy, and her work has been nominated for numerous awards, including the Phyllis Wheatley Award for Fiction. Her latest series, The Last Favorites Page, is inspired by French historical figure Louis Benoit Zamour. It explores what life might have been like for this black man who was forever known as a traitor after turning over Madame Jean Dubarry to the French Revolutionary Tribunal. The first book in the series, The Greatest Thing, was released just yesterday on November 30th. We are very excited, of course, to be interviewing Patty today. Well, thanks for joining us today, Patty. Thank you for having me. We're very uh, excited to have you join us. I don't know if you've listened to our podcast, but excited is like the word that we use all the time if we were like on Pee Wee's Playhouse and somebody said excited, everybody would go, ah, like all the time because that's what we do. (laughs) But (laughs) we are happy that you are here to join us and talk about your new book that was actually would have just been released yesterday, November 30th. Go ahead and tell us whatever you'd like to about yourself, about your book, and then we'll have some questions for you too. Okay. I'll tell you a
1: little bit about myself. So I have been writing for a very long time, but I used to write romance. I became a little disenchanted with the whole industry because when I first started writing, I you know, I know writers say this all the time, but the truth is I was just writing for myself. I wasn't really writing for anybody else to read it. And so when I decided to get published. I ran into a lot of roadblocks. I got a lot of negative reviews. And you know, everybody tells you you'll get those, but it really doesn't mean anything until you actually get one. <laughs> and then you you kind of feel that sense of, oh my God, they don't like what I write. And so, um, but I kept going for a while and I was working with some small presses and i was writing my romance and enjoying it for a while but at some point i became a little disenchanted i stopped writing and just before the pandemic i decided to i realized that writing is it's not just something that i like to do it's actually something that i have to do mm-hmm. it's for my mental health <laughs> and when we were doing during that pandemic i i had to go back to doing what i what I love to do and what I know helps me. And then I found my love for writing again and I completely switched my genre. So now I'm a historical fiction novelist mm-hmm. and my new book has dropped November 30th and I'm very excited about it.
0: Great. So what made you make that transition from, from, from romance to historical? Well, the interesting thing is I was on Pinterest. (laughs) I was
1: browsing, and I was looking for something to put on my wall in my condo. And I came across this portrait of this man who lived in 18th century France. And it was a shock to me because I had no idea that there were Black people in 18th century France, let alone that there was uh, a Black man who lived at the Palace of Versailles. And so I was fascinated by that, and I started looking him up. I just felt like this story needs to be told. It was so fascinating about this man who worked for the uh, mistress of King Louis the Fifteenth as her page, and later y- later years down the road, he would be the man who actually turned her into the Revolutionary Tribunal. And from then on, for the rest of time, he's been known as the traitor. And I thought, my God, there's a story here that nobody's telling nobody's talking about this story. There's got to be a story. And so the interesting thing I tell people, I I didn't actually decide to be a historical fiction novelist. I decided I wanted to write a biographical fiction about this man who just happens to live, have lived during the 18th century in France. (laughs) So just, I just kind of fell into writing historical fiction.
0: So for researching this book, were you able to, uh, fly to France to get real good research?
1: (laughs) (laughs) You know, I've been wanting to go to France for my whole life, and this gave me just the excuse that I needed to actually take that trip. So I went for the first time last fall, Awesome! and I got to uh, visit some of the places that I wanted to visit for my book, not all of them, but some Mm -hmm. of them. Mostly what I did was I ate croissants and I <laughs> and uh, drank a lot of coffee <laughs> <laughs> and I, I did a lot of sightseeing and I just soaked up France. It was so beautiful. You know, I've got another book coming out soon. So, of course, I need to go again.
2: <laughs> oh, for research purposes. Yes. yes. For research.
0: <laughs> I'm pretty. You can take that off on your taxes then. I'm sure you know what I, I am considering that yeah.
1: I, I you know I, I get a little nervous about you know taxes but you know it, it is
0: uh, for my work it I is. mean it's it's legit I, I agree <laughs> every croissant it's a little mark on <laughs> taxes.
2: <laughs> do you find with writing about historical figures people who actually existed that there are any like rules or ethics of that that you follow
1: Yes, so I, um, when I first started writing this, I didn't expect the, the concern and the worry that would come with it. But, you know, I've only ever written fiction, and I never had to deal with uh, the ethical considerations of writing about people who actually existed, and knowing that, you know, they could conceivably have family members that are still alive. And thinking about, you know, being, honestly, it sounds silly, but being haunted by these people because I'm just slightly superstitious. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, somebody is going to come to me in my sleep and not be happy with what I'm doing. But my intent behind the story is to shed light on a, a subject and a person who's never seen the light of day. And I think that's more important than my concerns in that I'm trying to approach everything with respect mm-hmm. It's very important not to um, be disrespectful just for the sake of being disrespectful Mm -hmm. there has to be a reason why you go in a certain direction when you're writing about real people and so i tried to be very conscious of that Mm -hmm. and i tried to treat everyone with the respect that i would want to be treated with Mm -hmm. while at the same time trying to write a story that's went in directions that i didn't anticipate in the beginning so yeah, there's a lot of ethical stuff that comes up. When I first started writing this historical fiction, I was, um, I thought I had to stick completely true to the facts. And then I started doing a lot of reading of other people who wrote the historical fiction just to hear how they dealt with these concerns. The fiction part is, is the most important thing. And I make sure everybody knows that this is, I took a lot of creative license. And this is fiction, Mm -hmm. but in order to tell a story that's compelling, sometimes you really do have to go off the grid a little bit. You can't Mm -hmm. stick to historical facts. And at the end of the day, if the story brings people to want to research the history, I think that's Mm -hmm. a win. I think if the story is interesting enough to make somebody say, I want to look this up and find out if that's true, you know, even if they find out that I made some stuff up, I want to... You know, give me grief about it. At least they're researching the story, and at least they're um, they're learning about something that they might not have otherwise.
0: Yeah, yeah. Because if you had just approached this without just spitting out facts, we might as well just pick up a textbook. I mean, you you make it intriguing and you make it interesting, and I mean, that's what part of historical fiction is. Like you said, it draws a person in and helps them learn more about. Whatever the subject matter is, whether it's a war or an actual individual, and it and it does make you want to dive in and learn a little bit more, but it it is the way you portrayed in such an interesting way mm-hmm. that it that that really opens up the story.
1: I hope I have done
0: that. <laughs> well, I haven't finished it yet, but I have started it. Um, and I think that just you know, let our our listeners know that this was not an easy book to read this young man went through some horrible things. Mm -hmm. And so I would say there may be potential trigger warnings for some people, but I do think that it was a good story to tell. I do think that you still did it respectfully, but yeah, it was, it wasn't easy and I'm sure it wasn't easy for you to write either. I'm sure some of the scenes in that book were very difficult to write.
1: Absolutely. And I didn't want to go into too much detail Mm and I didn't think that was necessary, but You know, any time you're talking about any form of childhood abuse, Mm -hmm. it is traumatic Mm -hmm. and it's difficult to write and you have to get yourself out of that headspace. But I felt it was important to set that foundation because it's his character and who he became and who he and how he lived his life and what he did. Um, It had to come from someplace. And I think it's important for people to understand that trauma, trauma begets trauma begets trauma. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Absolutely. Mm. You go through some very difficult things when you're a child and they shape who you are. And so that's kind of what I wanted to do. I just wanted to make sure that there was a foundation for readers to understand what's going to happen in book two and book three.
0: As the author and creator of the fiction aspect of that, and and you're writing some of these things, like we said, that are traumatic and a little difficult, what do you do, like once you step away from your computer or typewriter or however you write it, what do you do to decompress and kind of get that headspace back into like, okay, you know, I can go pet my dog or whatever and, Mm -hmm. and not be totally overwhelmed by it? I do a lot of baking. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's not necessarily a good thing
1: because I live alone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bake and eat. I, I have this strange hobby. Um, I actually have always loved to read cookbooks since I've been fascinated by uh, all of France, since I'm a Francophile. been researching uh, French recipes. And when I was in France, I took a course at Le Cordon Bleu. So came back and tried to recreate those croissants. I could not, but but just the trying of it and getting out of my head. It's really, it's more than worth the effort because sometimes just getting yourself all involved in something like that, it can really. Um, it's like a palate cleanser, mm-hmm. in a respect. Everything I'm talking about is related to food. I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> That's okay. We both just had lunch, so we're
2: okay. We're set. We're set. <laughs> So you, you had written some romance and then you have some novellas and things that are also historical fiction. I actually have Veronique's journey here. Ah. So the, the main character there, Veronique, she ends up at the same place that the main character from The Greatest Thing is. So they're kind of tied together. Do you intend for this one or for it to sort of be a standalone or is it? like prequel, how does that work? So, yes,
1: so I wrote the three books in the series, The Last Favorites page, and then I decided to write some introductory books just to get, well, one introductory book, actually. And I wrote Veronique's Journey um, just to introduce people to this character that's a part of his life. Wrote that as a novella. It was meant to be a standalone. I started getting a lot of feedback from people saying, you can't end the story here. (laughs) and it kind of threw me for a loop because she that was published in September of 2022 I was planning to immediately uh, going into revising the greatest thing um but then I decided to write a follow-up so there's another book called Veronique's Moon Mm -hmm. that is a follow-up to that one and so it kind of accidentally became like a series (laughs) they are sort of a prequel uh I want to say a parallel story mm-hmm. to *The Greatest Thing*, um, because his his story actually starts earlier. Earlier, because it starts when he's a child. She will meet him when they're both adults. Okay. So they're kind of like a parallel story, and they overlap in a sense. So mm-hmm. you will run into Veronique, uh later in *The Greatest Thing*. Yeah, I won't say too much about that, but
2: yes, <laughs> <laughs> don't want to give too much away. Sure. <laughs>
0: you're joining us on our December podcast. So after, after we do your interview, Don and I are going to be discussing some of our holiday uh, traditions and different things like that. And so we wanted to kind, kind of tie that all together. And so we wanted to ask you, do you have any family or uh, holiday traditions that you, that you do every year? Um, Well, I'm the cookie
1: maker in the family.
0: (laughs) I never would have guessed. That's a surprise.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And I make this particular shortbread. I've been making it since I was like 12 with this really, uh, you know, American buttercream. But it's, you know, uh, you know, it's delicious because I use all butter and And my family is used to it. And so every Christmas, no matter what, I have to make those cookies, even though I get tired of them and I've stopped eating them for the most part. And sometimes I'll try to make them something else. But um, if I don't also bring the shortbread, then they kind of get a little miffed with me. so. So that's what I'll be doing
0: again. So do you get together with family and like you guys just like go to grandma's house, that sort of thing. And then you always bring the cookies.
1: Well, I have a small family. My parents have passed, unfortunately, but um, I have siblings, and we visit each other during the holidays and just try to make sure to stay connected with okay. each other. We all have kind of have, have our own lives, but um, but some things are important. Those cookies are important. So. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, thanks for joining us today, Patty. It was a pleasure to meet you and chat with you about your book, The Greatest Thing, and uh, hopefully people will put that on reserve on their library cards or especially hopefully go out to uh, Barnes and Noble and Amazon and and pick that up.
1: That would be great. Thank you. It's been a pleasure.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Very nice meeting you both. Thank you for having me.
2: Awesome. Patty, she was fun to talk to. I enjoyed that conversation.
0: I did too. I I It's funny. I really thought that she knew Natalie. I don't know why. Just because they're both Columbus authors mm-hmm. in that area. Mm-hmm. I don't know.
2: Everybody in Columbus knows each other, Apparently. just like everybody in Orville, right?
0: I don't. I feel like a lot in Orville. It might be a little more true. In right, Columbus, right. might be a little too big. But anyhow, so Dawn, it's been a year since we talked about Christmas. That happens every I mean, year. Christmas does. comes around. I think it's falling on the twenty fifth this year. <laughs> <laughs> so last year we kind of challenged one another to watch uh, Christmas movies. Mm-hmm. You chose. Polar Express and The Nightmare Before Christmas for me. Mm-hmm. And I chose Die Hard, Christmas Story, and The Year Without a Santa Claus for you. Yes. So were you able to watch all three of those? I definitely watched Die Hard mm-hmm. and
2: honestly I've watched a Christmas story before, so oh, I can't remember okay. if I specifically yeah. watched it last year. And I think I did watch A Year Without a Santa Claus. Okay. Okay, it's been a year, so I don't really remember. I, I remember watching Die Hard specifically.
0: And what did you think? Um <laughs> what did I think I didn't write it you're not gonna hurt my feelings
2: <laughs> well so you know it's a Bruce Willis action movie right so you know, there's that some of the language in it kind of surprised me oh, for um, a Christmas movie for a Christmas yeah. movie I guess you know yeah but for a Bruce
0: Willis movie it's not all that surprising. not that surprising
2: <laughs> my in conclusion is I will call it a Christmas movie on a technicality because there's the corporate Christmas party happening right
0: yeah and it has Christmas music all
2: that is required to make it a Christmas movie I have some other movie (laughs) suggestions for you that we can talk about in a minute okay
0: well I did watch Polar Express I'm sorry I will not be watching it again
2: it is one of our traditions I love that
0: you love it mm -hmm. and I and obviously it's very popular Mm -hmm. you know so my opinion of not liking it is probably unpopular and that's okay I just um Tom Hanks voice is not diverse enough to do all those characters because it's ob- mm-hmm. so obviously him there are other
2: voice actors in voice the world.
0: actors <laughs> that could have pulled that off and mm-hmm. it would have sounded like completely different characters mm-hmm. unfortunately tom hanks he's way too distinct and he
2: did try he did put in some yeah effort. for an 80
0: year old man right, is that <laughs> <I> know, right? <laughs> but anyhow tom hanks is never listening to <laughs> us yes it was it was okay. I'm glad I watched it because mm-hmm. it has been around for a while. And then Nightmare Before Christmas. I don't I don't know if I finished it. It I was I think a, you told me you lot. did not watch the it
2: whole thing. It was a lot
0: for me. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, that's kind of like so I'll call it a Christmas movie on a technicality like you will die hard. <laughs> I feel like that was more of a
2: I feel like Christmas had more to do with the plot in Nightmare Before Christmas (laughs) than it does in Die Hard. And in my defense, Nightmare Before Christmas actually is in our Christmas movie section here. Yeah.
0: Well, Die Die. Hard should be. Just saying.
2: Well, you'll have to take that up with.
0: I do like Tim Burton usually. Mm -hmm. But you know, Nightmare Before Christmas is kind of like it's like animation, cartoony. And and that's not my favorite type Mm -hmm. of thing other than The Earth Out Santa Claus. (laughs) For some reason, I love that one anyhow so mm-hmm. we did it and i'm glad we did it and maybe maybe in 2024 we'll challenge each other to watch other movies that we both love and see what see how that goes see how that goes yeah so what were you saying there's some other movies that you put on a bubble as far as whether they're christmas or not
2: i'm calling these non-traditional christmas movies okay let me tell you the internet agreed with me (laughs) so the first one is gremlins which is from 1984 but the whole thing with gremlins is that the main character the young man he receives gizmo the little creature Mm -hmm. as a christmas present right he proceeds to not properly take care of it and Mm -hmm. it causes trouble for everybody Mm -hmm. but it's a christmas movie yeah, have you seen Gremlins? I have. I okay. Have. I, yeah. I guess I like the whole fact that he gets Gizmo as a Christmas gift. Mm-hmm. I forget that part. Yeah, but because the rest of the movie is very not Christmassy. For True, sure. but it does take place at Christmas time. At Christmas like time,
0: basically in that probably almost in that week between Christmas and New Year's, yeah. it basically takes place. Mm-hmm. So. And there's yeah. you know
2: snow and all the things you expect around that time. Yeah. So, you
0: know. I, I agree. It's not a traditional Christmas movie, <laughs> for sure. Right, right. So what are other ones that you found? Batman Returns. 1992,
2: Michael Keaton as Batman. Danny DeVito plays the penguin. <laughs> so this one, the plot basically has nothing to do with Christmas. No. But if you're watching the movie and you're paying attention to stuff in the background, there's a lot of like Christmas decorations and Christmas mm. themes happening. The plot has nothing to do with Christmas, much like Die Hard.
0: So if you look it up, like, online, mm-hmm. does is it listed as a Christmas movie? So I
2: found that on a list when I was looking at different non-traditional Christmas movies. Mm-hmm. I did find Batman Returns on mm-hmm. at least one list. I don't think it was released around Christmas, either. Okay. I don't know that Die Hard was released around Christmas, was it?
0: I think so. It's been a minute since it was right. released. But, yeah, you I know. think it may have oh, okay. been, actually, mm-hmm. at least mm-hmm. from what I remember. But... Yeah, I would have never have guessed the Batman one as mm-hmm. falling into any kind of Christmas category. It has a penguin, and they're cold, but <laughs> I don't
2: know. And maybe that's why they had it seem like it was set at yeah. Christmas time. Yeah, so decoration. he could survive. So the penguin could obviously, you know, yeah. the penguin's only the villain in winter. Otherwise, right? You yeah. know, I was gonna say hibernating, but I don't think penguins hibernate. They in moved the summer. to
0: Madagascar, I guess, <laughs>
2: <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. So the last one that I have, and this movie is exactly as old as, I, well, not exactly, but almost the same age as me, <laughs> Lethal Weapon, Mel mm-hmm. Gibson and Danny Glover. So this movie actually was released in like March of 1987, mm-hmm. but Christmas has a lot to do with various oh, things sure. that happen in the movie, like there's the the opening scene is at like a christmas tree vendor place yeah. mm-hmm. and i think towards the end of the movie mel gibson's character goes to have christmas with danny glover's family yeah so
0: christmas movie
2: it is and i feel like lethal weapon very much follows a lot of the lines of Die Hard.
0: sure and lethal weapon is one of the ones that we would probably watch around the christmas season it is for your sure your
2: family has an interesting concept of christmas movies <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't know if it's my family or just me. <laughs> but yeah, and I like Lethal Weapon a lot, and it definitely does take place during the holidays, like you said. There's a lot of Christmassy type There's of things. There's even a whole background. character
2: redemption arc in there for mm-hmm. Mel Gibson's character. So. Yeah. There you yep. go. Yeah. It's heartwarming. It,
0: it, <laughs> it is. It's a little, little bloody, but heartwarming. <laughs> So also, as Dawn was doing some research, she looked up some lesser-known Christmas books. And this is one I have not read by Agatha Christie, Hercule Poirot's Christmas. It was published in 1938, so a little bit before I was born. But not much before Tom Hanks was born. (laughs) Anyhow, um, the U.S. title was Murder for Christmas, and then it was renamed A Holiday for Murder. So is Hercule Poirot's Christmas, was that the English... Title.
2: I think that was yeah the original title Mm -hmm. when it was published in the UK. Yeah,
0: very good. I have to definitely look into that. I was kind of proud
2: of myself for finding an Agatha Christie book you hadn't read.
0: Oh, her collection is huge. I have not read all of them.
2: Could have fooled me.
0: Well, I can't read all of them back to back to back because mm there's it's too much for any for me to read any series or genre over and over and over, mm-hmm. it, they just fall into the same category and mm-hmm. it just becomes too obvious sure. no matter mm-hmm. what genre it is. So that's why I always have to break up, break it up.
2: But definitely you always go back to Agatha Christie at some
0: point. I do. Yeah. I read at least one or two a year of hers, and mm-hmm. I still haven't completed her collection. She has over 90 books, I think, okay. published books. So, yeah.
2: Well, you could read this one this holiday
0: season. I will. have to. Okay. I'll read it to my new little granddaughter. <laughs> I'm sure she'll love it. Yeah.
2: so most people know l frank baum for writing Mm -hmm. the wizard of oz yeah he also wrote this book that was published in 1902 called the life and adventures of santa claus and was reading some of the plot of this so it kind of starts with like santa as a child and his upbringing and how he like gives toys to some village kids and like the very first toy that he gave isn't even actually I think called a toy until Mm -hmm. later it's like a little wooden car or train Mm -hmm. or something and it's not even painted and then there are these like forest gnomes that start helping him make gifts and
0: oh so they would be what would become elves later on right right
2: so it kind of gives backstory for some of the like santa related traditions or, or things that we think of when it comes to santa claus and i think he even lives in like some northern region but it's somewhere in europe and not mm-hmm. the north pole but i just thought it was it sounds like a like graphic novel the life and adventures of santa claus <laughs> as opposed to you know your traditional sound and christmas story
0: right right all of all of my christmas things are so traditional <laughs> <laughs> and so francis p church made a picture book Called Yes, Virginia, There Is a Santa Claus. Now, I had heard of the movie, mm-hmm. but I had not heard of the book. And it was based on the letter a girl sent him in 1921. Well, she sent it to a newspaper. So I hadn't okay. heard of this poem or like mm-hmm. the
2: letter or anything until I started working here. Somebody had told me about it. So there was this little girl who asked her dad, her name was Virginia, this mm-hmm. real, actual little girl. Mm-hmm. Her name was Virginia, and she she asked her dad if Santa Claus was real. And so he kind of pawned it off on the local paper. He's like, I don't know, maybe you should write to the sun. Because her father told her, you know, if you see it in the sun, their local paper, then it must be true. <laughs> so she wrote a letter asking if Santa Claus was real. And I believe it was Francis Church replied with this whole like – yes santa is real and it's it is this actually genuinely heartwarming response to it and then like yeah the movie was made and they made a picture book and everything from it and it's one of those just like real christmas feeling goodwill kind of
0: so were you able to look up and see if these three books are available in Cleveland?
2: I believe Hercule Poirot's Christmas is. It, it could potentially be under one of the other titles, but our catalogers are pretty good, so if a book has an alternate title, you can usually find mm-hmm. find it that way. I'm sure, yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus. There's a copy of a picture book and probably even the movie in Cleveland as well. I'm not sure about The Life and Adventures of Santa Claus
0: Okay, from L. Frank Baum, but we can find out. yeah. <laughs> Everybody comes into the reference desk and says, mm-hmm. "I want this book." We'll have to <laughs> we'll have we'll to have find to. that out. Yeah. yeah.
2: I think the one of the names that definitely comes up as a Christmas story writer is Charles Dickens. For sure. Because of A Christmas Carol. So that was published in 1843, but interestingly, some people call him, like, the man who invented Christmas. Hmm. And by that, it's not that he actually invented Christmas, because Christmas is older than Charles Dickens, obviously. Right. <laughs> yeah. um, but that he kind of curated the whole concept of Christmas as this, like, humanitarian time and the season of goodwill. Previously, Christmas was maybe more of a religious holiday, mm-hmm. and strictly that, or people thought about, like, It's just this, you know, one day out of the year instead of this whole season that we have now. Mm -hmm. I got this quote from Wikipedia, but it's (laughs) got some sources cited from um, some different articles and actually a book that was written by a historian named Ronald Hutton. And I thought that um, this was a really cool quote. Hutton says that Dickens linked worship and feasting within a context of social reconciliation, which is kind of like part of the whole theme of Mm -hmm. a christmas carol and then we also get like the phrase merry christmas people said that before but after a christmas carol became more popular merry christmas became a common phrase right and calling somebody a scrooge also like was born out of Mm -hmm. a christmas carol yeah
0: just like probably grinch you know born born out out of of dr seuss you know
2: absolutely (laughs)
0: Yeah. So that's fun. Well, I will have to definitely look at some of these potential Christmas books to read this year. And I don't know that I'll add Batman Returns to my (laughs) Christmas movie watching. (laughs) It was probably one of my least favorite Batman movies. Anyhow, do we have any, any events, anything happening this month in December here at the library?
2: Well, we have a couple of things that are happening in the next couple of days. The North Pole Adventure for okay. children. There is a sign up or registration for that. There are time slots and there's plenty of space. So it would be tomorrow on December 2nd. And then on Monday on the 4th. Actually, oh, so that's Saturday. Saturday. Okay, yep, sorry. There's a Saturday and a Monday. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Mm-hmm. For the North Pole Adventure, they turn the children's department kind of into a little North Pole mm-hmm. theme park. And kids can come and like do some different games and activities. Uh, So there's like a little reading room where somebody will read a, a little story. And then in January, starting on, I believe it's January 2nd, we'll start our winter reading program, which will be for all ages reading and earning little prizes for children and for adults and teens. The more you read, the more chances you have to win some some cozy wintery prizes.
0: And Pictures with Santa is December 18th, Monday, December 18th, 10 a.m. and 5 p.m. Right. So.
2: That is, registration yeah. is not required for, but you might expect some lines.
0: Right, mm-hmm. right. And he'll be here, for, I believe, two hours each time yes. 10 to 12 and 5 to 7. Mm-hmm. Okay. So also just. I think we need to let our viewers, I'm sorry, listeners know we are going to be closed December 23rd, 24th, 25th, and 26th. So we will be open on Friday the 22nd and then we will not reopen until December 27th. So All we're right. going to have a nice long weekend. A nice Time long holiday weekend. Time to spend weekend. with our families. Fantastic. And then, the, and then the following weekend, which will be New Year's, we will be closed on that Saturday, the 30th. Mm-hmm. And then we will be closed on New Year's Day, which is Monday, but we will reopen on the 2nd.
2: Which is when the winter reading program starts. Well, there you go. Awesome.
0: Perfect. <laughs> and then also registration will begin for story times on January 2nd also. Sure, yeah. We don't have a book club in... December. Do you have Coffee and Crafts, though? We
2: do. For our December cro- Coffee and Crafts, we're going to ma- be making little bows out of ribbon. They're not your traditional ribbon bows. It's a little bit different. It's something that you could make as like an accessory, like a brooch, or you could make to put on some gifts.
0: Oh, and December 9th, there's going to be the gingerbread houses. Yeah. With the children's department. department. Yep. yep. And
2: the reindeer games? We have, December is a big time for, you know, those holiday children's it, programs. It is. So it I really just is. suggest checking out the library calendar yeah. and seeing what we have going on throughout December for, yeah, for kids.
0: Okay, right. Well, thanks everybody for listening in on our December slash holiday slash interview with Patty Flynn <laughs> podcast. And we will see you next year, 2024. Happy holidays.